Hey everybody, I'm Jason Perry and welcome to A Chance to Chat With, and today we're chatting with Amber Mack. If you don't know who Amber is, she's a leader in the tech world, sharing her 15 plus years of knowledge on Facebook and keynotes at events. She gives her insight on social media on her weekly Sirius XM show, and if you come across an app, she's probably tried it. Hey Amber, how have you been? I am doing great, thank you. Now, at the top of our show, we do a short segment called Top 5. Five questions, and as a guest, you give me the first thing that pops into your head as an answer. Got it. Top 5. Top 5. If you wake up before your alarm, do you do a small celebration that you get to sleep longer? No, I wake up and I start the day even earlier. <laughs> when you do wake up, do you check Twitter or your email first? Definitely Twitter, just to make sure that uh, the world isn't ending. <laughs> oh, that is a, a must these days. Right? <laughs> what is the first car that you owned? The first car I owned was a Honda CRV. It was a little blue two seater, kind of a, a cheap sports car. What was the last book that you read? Uh, the last book that I read was probably uh, Trevor Noah's book, and uh, it's uh, his life story, which was fantastic. I'll have to try that out. Now, when did you first see Star Wars? So uh, the first time I saw Star Wars, well, the first time I remember seeing Star Wars, I saw The Empire Strikes Back in a movie theater in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island. I cannot remember how old I was, but I remember it was quite a memorable experience because it was the very first movie I had ever been to. Oh, that, that must have been quite the experience. It was very cool. Now, you're definitely someone who's surrounded by tech all day. There must be times when you just want to hit that off switch. What do you do when you're away from all your gadgets? So I tend to uh, be online pretty much most of my waking hours. However, I do agree that it's good to take little breaks here and there. And uh, a couple of times a year, I'll go on these Netflix binge watching um, uh, periods. I know people maybe watch Netflix every day. For me, it's more like, oh, okay, once or twice a year, diving into a series on Netflix, uh, watch all of them. And then I feel like I, I got that out of my system for another six months. <laughs> now, as you said, you, you grew up in the Maritimes. Uh, PI, what was that kind of like uh, growing up compared to uh, what you uh, heard from your friends uh, when you moved to the States and to Ottawa? So it was definitely a, a very different uh, experience growing up in rural Prince Edward Island, and uh, there wasn't a whole lot going on. But I think in many ways, it really allowed me to uh, just be very creative as a child. Uh, when I say there wasn't a lot going on, I'm being 100% serious. I grew up in the country. So uh, if you wanted to have fun, you just made up your own games. You know, it was literally that uh, lifestyle where your parents told you to come home when the sun went down and you could run through the woods at a very young age, you know and uh, not have to really worry about too much. So I, I definitely feel um, very appreciative that I had a childhood like that. And um, on the flip side of it, uh, by the time I was 20, um, or early 20s, I should say, I was living in downtown San Francisco and in a much different environment during the dot-com boom. And uh, I loved it. I mean, I love the hustle and bustle of the city, and I still do. I can't imagine going back to the country, but I appreciate my roots there. Well, I know. For me, uh, I have family that's... Uh, 
down in New Brunswick. So it's nice for me to get down there every once in a while. Uh, when I was younger, it was every year, but now it gets further and further with kids and work and everything. But uh, definitely, it's definitely a different lifestyle. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a different lifestyle. I mean, I think uh, in in some ways it's a little bit slower, but I think that's actually changing. I have had an opportunity over the past few summers to spend a big chunk of time in Prince Edward Island and in Charlottetown. And I'm always amazed to see the um, technology companies that are starting up there. And there's this real momentum that's uh, happening on the island right now. And I think this really speaks to what we're seeing overall with uh, uh, companies uh, really being able to launch wherever they might be. It could be in uh, rural PEI or downtown San Francisco. And at the end of the day, uh, the internet has just provided an, an incredible opportunity just to equalize the playing field. What well, what was San Francisco like as a 20-year-old a uh, from Canada, seeing sort of a definitely a different world? It was definitely a unique experience for me being out in San Francisco. And I think in some ways uh, during the dot-com boom, it was uh, pretty overwhelming. I had never seen that type of money being thrown around <laughs> and literally in people's faces and uh, with parties. And, uh, you know, I remember at one company I worked at, uh, we rented plants uh, and uh, people would come in and water the plants because apparently a bunch of 20 and 30-somethings couldn't possibly do that on their own. So uh, I think it, it really taught me an important lesson about being business growth. And, and that is just uh, uh, not to get too arrogant, not to uh, necessarily, um, you know, spend too quickly, because I saw so much of that. And I saw companies like one of them that I worked for, which was Razorfish, you know, really be the hottest company around. And then in, in one year, it just started to tank. Um, another startup I was at, uh, we raised more than $20 million, which was quite a bit of money then and still quite a bit of money. Uh, but very quickly, we blew through all that money. So it was a really wonderful experience at a young age because there was no personal risk to me. You know, it wasn't my money, but I was able to uh, have a lot of responsibility and um, and also understand uh, the consequences of uh, perhaps spending too quickly and uh, too rapidly. Uh, just a side note, it sort of seems like a, a sort of a, a learning curve for a lot of companies. And definitely if they see if they get to meet the right people, they learn that, you know, money definitely doesn't grow on trees. And what you you get as an investment is what it is. It's an investment in the company. And they seem to sort of not realize that or sort of enjoy sort of the perks of, of running a startup. I think that's uh, definitely something that uh, I saw during those years. And I think for a lot of these businesses, I mean, they, they needed to demonstrate to their investors or their board that uh, they were growing quickly. And, and and much of the time that meant that they were hiring quickly, which meant they were spending a lot of money. They were expanding more quickly than they were bringing in any type of revenue. And so I think there was that, that pressure. I feel just from being more immersed in the startup scene now, I think most businesses are a little more cautious. I think people tend to be a little scrappier today than they were during that time. And I think we believed that that bubble was never going to pop. Clearly, we saw uh, what ended up happening after a very short period of time. And many of the companies that were hot then no longer exist today. Are there any sort of apps or social media that you see sort of on the verge of draining that money and not going to be around for the next year or so? 
So I, I think there definitely are some companies out there. I mean, I, I always worried a little bit. I mean, I know this is a bigger company and uh, a company that's now public. But when I look at a company like Snapchat, it, it always made me a little bit nervous when I first signed up to Snapchat and started using it on a regular basis. I just found the whole user experience to be the most clumsy, awkward thing. And many people would say to me, oh, you know, Amber, that's just because the kids like it this way. You know, they like the mysterious way you post and you share. And I, I've had enough experience with technology to recognize that that is not a good standard uh, for a company that is going to be able to have any type of longevity. And I think a company like uh, Snap today, you're seeing that uh, for many people, it just was not a a user-friendly environment. And as much as they wanted to get the kids, they still also needed the advertisers and the people who were able to bring money to the table. I know they're still around and and they're still doing okay, but they've seen a, a pretty big dip as far as their value overall. Well, I mean, they're, they're one sort of big mistake was was their snapticles snap glasses because um, i know like they have uh i know like 300 or or so thousand still in stock that just they can't get rid of yeah, absolutely. I, I saw headlines about that as well. And I, I think that, uh, uh, you know, we, we've seen historically how quickly a company can be really hot and then uh, just kind of fall off the radar. So uh, I, I think it's a, a warning sign for a lot of founders. Now, another uh, a company that is definitely growing, but uh, is still trying to figure out who they really are is Netflix. Um, I know that uh, they want to do original content because now movie companies are realizing how much money uh, the streaming services can bring in. So they want to keep it in-house. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, uh, looking at Netflix, I think that uh, what we've seen with Netflix, uh, I have a, a little more faith, I think, in the longevity of that company because they have been around for so long and they've been able to show how quickly that they can pivot. I mean, if you think about Netflix, for all intents and purposes, that company should have failed quickly. I mean, they started out actually physically mailing DVDs to people's homes. <laughs> so I, I think it's one of those businesses that uh, I, I feel pretty confident about as far as them understanding the future of streaming, how people watch. And uh, I, I think they've got some pretty solid history under their belts. Well, with with Netflix, are there any movies that uh, you do definitely turn on to watch when you do sit down for those five minutes in <laughs> in a month? So I think that uh, I probably watch fewer movies. I, I definitely, like I said, I've watched a series like Stranger Things too, and I've seen uh, Narcos, and I, I love those series. I'm not so much uh, an avid movie watcher anymore. I have seen quite a few good documentaries, but I think generally speaking, it's one of those things that I've cut out of my life a little bit more because... I'm just trying to keep up with the general uh, hustle of every single day and uh, trying to uh, balance having a family life and running a business. And I know you know what that's like. And and for most of us who are are self-employed or entrepreneurs, I think that means that we need to cut some things out. So, you know, if my son goes to bed, there's a good chance that my husband and I might be working and uh, don't have time to watch a lot of movies. And it's not even just about not having time. I I don't necessarily want to, you know, (laughs) I I love what I do and uh, I feel as though... So I, I'd never feel like I'm at work. So I would just prefer to keep investing in my business than um, necessarily just zoning out to a, a movie. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just not my thing. Well, it just seems like really interesting that we're sort of in a in an age where 
you know, the regular way to watch movies or watch TV is kind of disappearing, but there's more content out there accessible to people. That's absolutely true. I mean, I think people, many people talk about this as the golden age of content or television. And uh, I was talking to someone recently who said, oh, you know, there's no good shows out there. I I feel the exact opposite. I think we've never seen so many incredible series. Just last night, I I was watching uh, just a a new series that uh, Sarah Silverman is doing on Hulu and um, very kind of out of the box kind of series. It felt more like a a web show. Well, it is a streaming show, but it, it feels more like the days of, you know, Dignation or something. (laughs) And uh, I I, I think that's interesting because I think there's a place for all different types of content. There's a really high premium content, like a a series such as Narcos that you get on Netflix. But there's also a place for this um, intersection between internet culture and and content you would see on the web. And I think the streaming services have been really great at understanding that appeal and uh, picking up on those audiences. Well, I keep reminding my kids how lucky they are. They can flip on their computer, their tablet, the TV, flip it on Netflix, and watch whatever show they want to watch. I keep reminding them that when I was growing up, if we wanted to see a certain show, we had to be in front of the TV at a certain time on a certain night or else we didn't see it. <laughs> I also remember those days. So, I mean, if when I was growing up, it was a, a show like 90210 and you, and you were glued in front of the television at whatever time it was, maybe a Thursday at 8 o'clock. And uh, if you missed it, you missed it. And uh, I think that uh, appointment viewing, I think it was uh, something that brought people together. Whereas today, I mean, you could find someone like me who's never seen Ga- Game of Thrones <laughs> So uh, we can all dive into our own content niches and find what it is that we really love. And I think that's good in some ways. Uh, Also, I think there's uh, negatives to that. I mean, if you look at uh, the state of journalism and news today, I think uh, a lot of people perhaps uh, are missing out on more in-depth news because they go into these these content bubbles online and they don't necessarily get a wider perspective from a a wider group of people. So that can be damaging in in the uh, long run. Well, it's not even content bubbles. I mean, if you look at uh, the United States, I mean, there, I mean, you go on YouTube, there is conservative and Democrat channels. And if you keep watching just one, you're only going to hear that one story at one side of the story. And you might think that the, the, everyone else is just crazy or wacko or they don't know what they're doing. I think that that's right. I mean, and, and I think that uh, I think that's why it's probably good for people to watch uh, TV and content that's a little bit out of their comfort zone. And uh, uh, not to keep bringing up Sarah Silverman, but if you watch her show, uh, I Love You America, I think that uh, that's kind of a, a a good example of a show that's trying to uh, speak to uh, everyone and trying to be much more inclusive than we've typically seen shows in the past, which is kind of funny because I, I wouldn't necessarily look at her as a comedian, as, as someone... Um, who uh, would do a show like that. But if you watch it, I mean, she really genuinely is trying to go into communities where she would never go before and understand their point of view and maybe even uh, not necessarily change their point of view, but perhaps they can meet in the middle and have some common ground. And it's a much less uh, combative approach than we typically see with content. And I think that's what really makes it unique. Well, I think she's one of the ones that just try and like pushes that that edge and to see what uh, stays and what or what goes off the cliff. I mean, that I think that's what makes uh, comedians stick in people's minds are the ones that try to push as far as they can push 
not necessarily being rude or offensive, but just try and push that boundary and get people to really think. I think that's absolutely right. And and I think she does push the boundaries. But I think what's nice about her approach with this show is that she's pushing the brown boundaries. But again, I don't think she she's trying to uh, alienate people uh, uh, less significantly than perhaps uh, other comedians who go out there. So I, I think if you've seen other series, and I do love Bill Maher, but if you think about Religious, um, he went out there and in many ways, he was, you know, confronting people, there was sort of an anger behind his approach. And one would easily argue that that anger that he brought was the same anger that the people on the other side brought to the table. Whereas I think with Sarah Silverman, and maybe this is just, uh, you know, something that's unique to her, and she's able to do, she's approaching these people and their different points of view, really, uh, from a a place uh, of love. And and that sounds so cheesy. But uh, when you watch that show, that's what it feels like. And maybe the world can use a bit more of that. It's that sort of a boom age in comedy, where people can push the edge but educate people as long. It's sort of bringing in the, the, the Daily Show John Stewart style from 10 years ago and really pushing it more. They absolutely. And it's nice to see some of the that content evolve, because I think her point with this show is that uh, she uh, really makes a reference to most of the uh, comedy shows that you see out there, the late night talk shows, and it's sort of a, a white dude behind a desk. And uh, what she's trying to do is sort of flip that on its head a little bit and have a different approach. I think Samantha B has done a good job of that as well in terms of uh, a different approach to her show. So it's nice to see people able to have these different platforms to experiment with content. Because let's be honest, when you look at television content, it's sort of uh, um, kind of uh, vanilla in some ways, you know, there's there's not a lot of change or innovation happening. But I think with these many different streaming services, we're able to see this incredible uh, experimentation going on right now that allows us to get content that is really fresh and really relevant and really different. Well, I, I mean, as you said, TV is kind of vanilla but it's kind of a it's they want to play it safe i mean you look at this year where where three shows came out two to do with the marines and one to do with swat team so it's kind of the same genre and they want to play it safe because they know they can get a certain amount of audience which means they can get a certain amount of revenue in advertising where these the streaming shows they do take that sort of they, they take that challenge and they, they take that opportunity, but they will find an audience because there is an audience out there. There definitely is an audience out there. And, and I, I think uh, there are big audiences out there. But let's be honest, I think those are dwindling, right? I mean, I think every television network right now that you look at, if it's a traditional television network, they're struggling with numbers. They're not able to get the same type of eyeballs they used to, which I would argue that's why you have shows out there uh, like The Big Bang Theory that is doing spinoffs with Young Sheldon. And uh, you have music shows that are doing spinoffs because they have this formula. They know that it works and they just keep trying to repeat it. And that's going to probably continue to work. But I think we're going to see those numbers slowly decline as people see more opportunities to watch different types of content across multiple platforms, including shows like this, you know, listening to podcasts and uh, being able to uh, just have the content the way we want it, when we want it, and how we want it as well. Well, I think with with numbers, I think it's harder for networks to justify smaller numbers where you have sort of streaming streaming shows that have a niche audience 
that can justify the smaller numbers because their audience is more in tune with that show. Yes, I, th- I think that is is true as well, and and I think it's uh, it's just I mean it's an interesting time to be in the content creation space overall because I would also say you know I hear people right now talking about podcasts oh you got to start a podcast it's all the rage I mean I think you and I know being in the tech scene <laughs> you know many of us uh, were involved in podcasts ten years ago right but for some I think shows and platforms it really becomes about timing you know and I think some of the tech people we've seen in podcasting we were really early right and. And uh, there was a limited community, but it was a big community. But uh, now, uh, finally, podcasting has become mainstream. I wouldn't have thought it would have taken more than a decade. I would have thought, oh, in a couple of years, you know, this is going to take off. But it, it, it took quite some time for uh, people to really understand and be knowledgeable about the word podcast. Well, I mean, even to this day, I talk to people and, I, and they ask me what I do. And I go, I, I produce podcasts and I am on podcasts. And they go, What's a podcast? <laughs> and I think it's just I think it's because there is not one actual I mean apart from from iTunes there's not one place to see what all, all the what podcasts are out there. There's not one platform. There's Stitcher, there's Google, there's Apple. There, there there's so many different platforms and if you're not on all of them they might not see you. That, and that's an issue, right? I mean, that's the whole discovery process that I think is uh, broken in some ways. And I think Apple did try to own that through iTunes with podcasts in particular, but we've seen that sort of branched out onto other platforms as well. So in in many ways, it just becomes this world where it's all about attention. You know, how much attention can you get for your podcast? And word of mouth, uh, funny enough, becomes one of the biggest driving factors in terms of getting people to listen and to watch shows. And much of that is driven by social media. And so I think we're really seeing here where the the people are choosing what they want. And the people are choosing if a show is going to win uh, or die off. Half the time I go into the studio at SiriusXM and and if I'm thinking, hey, I want to watch a new series, I ask Aaron, our producer, uh, because I think he has great taste and I trust his uh, opinion. Do I ask Michael, my co-host? No, because he has terrible taste and I don't uh, (laughs) trust his opinion on content. And if you interview him, you can let him know I said that. Well, I think you would tell him to his face. Yeah, I probably would. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like, yeah, exactly. Like, I think it's, I think the challenge uh, for even the the top echelon um, stars is where to find that audience and how to promote yourself. It, it really is. And I, I think um, that's why I think more than ever, I think having a social media presence and a, a platform where you're able to reach a lot of people and, and investing in those platforms has become so incredibly important because in many ways, many of us have our own little media companies. And, and uh, while they may not be uh, as large as the Netflix of the world, they still serve a certain community. And I, I think that's still important. And, and that's why so many advertisers are choosing to uh, go in the direction of uh, digital content and working with influencers and uh, they see the opportunity there. I look at uh, ones that I've watched on YouTube for a couple of years, all of a sudden they're popping up on my TV in a commercial and it's like, I know that person. <laughs> it's true, right? And and that's always so interesting. I think of someone like uh, my eight-year-old, and, and I know you have kids as well, and, and I think that you see with uh, this younger generation is they don't really, there's no distinction for them between the mainstream stars or the YouTube stars. They just see them all as stars. You know, they don't, they see them all as celebrities, no matter where they came from. And probably um, for many of them, they would know more YouTube stars than people who would be considered traditional stars. 
my kids talk about these YouTube people and I have no clue. <laughs> Even though I'm on YouTube a lot, I there's ones that they talk about that I just I have no clue who they are. And it's like, okay, well, let me watch so I can tell you if this is good or not. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I always say to people say, oh, I have no idea who my kids are watching. I don't know who they're talking about. I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, I don't think you should know necessarily because obviously it's a different age and uh, kids, those people are catering to different audiences. I'm in the same boat. I try to watch some of the content that my son watches. And uh, quite frankly, I'm just not interested in watching uh, gameplay. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I I appreciate his, uh, his or- choices, but it's not for me. Or these, or these families who just record themselves every day. Yes, I don't get that. Yes, no, I, I'm with uh, you on that, and I think that that's. <laughs> but the thing is, is that there is an audience for that, and um, like I said before, I think these audiences aren't as uh, massive as uh, some of the uh, big media companies, but there there still is an audience, and and I always say to people if I go to schools and I speak to um, journalism students or marketing students, and I know they want to go into this space where they want to be influencers or content creators, the more niche you can be, the better, right? And um, I think about someone like Lauren Toyota, um, who is uh, well known uh, for being a much music VJ and who's now uh, an online content creator. And uh, she talks about vegan junk food. I mean, you couldn't get more niche than that. (laughs) But that's what you have to do these days. And uh, you've got to have a bit of an edge. Yeah, but I mean, if you have a thousand vegan junk food listeners or viewers, then there's your your advertisement right there. I couldn't agree more. And and that's where I think that the opportunity really lies. And if you do something really well, I mean, I've been, uh, I've benefited from this for years. I'm a woman in technology. um, And uh, although there are more and more, there's really still not that many women who are, say, reporters or or keynote speakers in this space. I mean, I can probably name a a handful, um, but it's still that, that niche. Now, if I I told you, Jason, that I wanted to go be a fashion blogger. Hopefully you would uh, tell me that's not a wise idea due to the saturation of that market. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know about that. I think I think you should stay in tech. I, I, I think you've got the market cornered. <laughs> so we're ready to wrap things up. But before we go, Amber, one last thing. Both of us, as as you said, we both have kids growing up in this digital age. What is the one piece of advice you have for parents to keep kids safe online? I think uh, for parents in terms of keeping kids safe, it really comes down to understanding the places where they are engaging. So instead of uh, turning up your noses at uh, the platforms they're using, try to talk to them and and sign up for those platforms and see what they're doing. And uh, I think that you can only have some type of connection with them and guide them if you're knowledgeable about what exactly they're doing. Uh, do you have anything you want to promote uh, before we get going? Uh, I will promote uh, Jason as an incredible podcast producer, <laughs> and uh, I will uh, throw it back to you and uh, let people know that you have been uh, unbelievably helpful to me and many other uh, people out there who are producing podcasts, and uh, uh, you're doing an awesome job. So there you go. Thank you. Where can people find you on the internets? I am pretty easy to find. I'm I'm Amber Mac uh, everywhere on the internet, and uh, I would love it if people had a chance to follow me. And thanks for tuning in. And you can contact me on Twitter at Jason Perrier, P-E-R-R-I-E-R, and use the hashtag chance to chat with and let me know your answers to the top five questions. Until next time, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs>